It's Totally Football Show. Today, England Mardi after Tardy Varmar's Vardy Party. We round up all the midweek news that matters, including Isco Inferno, Spain's sensational 6-1 over Argentina. Then, league action. That huge Chelsea Spurs clash at the bridge featuring such diverse delights as Delhi Alley. While at the other end, Saints take the field at London Stadium and they may not be the only ones in that big bottom four clash with West Ham. There's massive games abroad. Bayern Dortmund in Germany. And quick reminder of what a title race looks like. Juventus Milan in Italy. We'll also catch up on useful phrases for talking football next time you're in the Middle East and answer your questions in the Totally Football Show. It's a special Totally Football Show today and it features Tom Williams, author of Do You Speak Football? Tom. Hello, James. Yeah, good. Uh, James Horncastle's here, author of absolutely nothing, James. <laughs> that is true, yeah. It's not a book. Thank you for bringing nothing. that up, James. But you've got something, haven't you? Something. It's going to drop soon. <laughs> Woof. Uh, Michael Cox, you're the author of The Mixer. Yes, I am. Thank you, James. Not at all. Still getting a lot of traction on social media, The Mixer. It is. Well, it's a, it's a timeless. I wouldn't say classic, Isn't it, but it's certainly timeless. <laughs> well, you're going to have to do a new chapter, though. You're going to have to do a new chapter about the Guardiola thing, no? I think you're right. Yeah. Right. Right. We'll need updating. If you need any help. Let me know. A lot of people writing in because they're getting married. Mm-hmm. Rianne and Darian getting married today. Is this the best use of an international break, says Darian. We'll see. Andrew Lang, my best mate and avid TFS listener, Finley Marks is getting married up in Perth, Scotland today. He's a previous winner of Best Tweet at your live shows. Give him and his lovely wife, Sarah, a shout-out from the team. You're the team, boys. Congratulations. Exactly. I mean, go. it's a good time to get married as long as you're not going to get a call-up like uh, John Ruddy or was in that situation a few years ago. Francesco Toldo. Do you remember? Wasn't it Toldo who had to put uh, off his, his honeymoon because he got a call-up? I remember more recently, Mattia Destro had to do that, oh. where basically Conte insisted that he come back. It's, what, 12 hours after getting married. Wow, that's so Conte, isn't it? <laughs> I think there was one of the Czech players in Euro 96. might have been Nedved or... Paborski or someone, but I think their wedding was the day of the final, or well, certainly the latter stages, and they didn't expect the Czechs to get there, which is, uh, you know, you've got to be confident in yourself. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, congratulations and best wishes to all. Let's turn our attention to another kind of match. Internationals, they've been playing them. Loads of big ones this midweek. Guys, I know you've been all over this Tuesday and Wednesday. Michael, should we start with Spain who, by the way, beat Argentina 6-1. What? Yeah, I mean, Spain were obviously the big winners of this international break. I think the other big sides either performed in a kind of manner you expect for international friendlies, a little bit flat. There's also the issue that Brazil and Argentina were both without their star players, so it was difficult to judge them. But Spain were fantastic. I mean, that game against Germany was just so high tempo and so thrilling. It was almost a good advertisement for those two, regardless of the scoreline. If they can play in that way, that high tempo... They're going to be very difficult to, to stop in Russia. And then the win over Argentina was just extraordinarily confident. Um, Isco, of course, grabbed a hat-trick and was very impressive. But the fact that they played pretty much five playmakers, they didn't have Busquets, he was out injured. They played five playmakers with a back four and then a centre-forward, and they just played brilliant football. And uh, I think we should also say that Argentina played extremely badly. In that How game. does that work, five playmakers? Is that something you could ever do in a proper match? Well, I don't think they're far away from it. I mean, uh, basically, Thiago came in and played the Busquets role. Uh-huh. So they didn't have what I'd call a proper holding midfielder like Busquets. 
Um, they had Silver and Isco drifting in from the flanks and Alba and Carvajal providing the width. It was really impressive. But Argentina's defending, I mean, we know what uh, San Paolo is all about. You know, he wants to press high. He wants to use a defensive line that's close to the, the halfway line. And in the second half, it was like watching... Uh, Andre Villas Boas sides, you know, when they just repeatedly kept getting done in behind. I'm not sure that Argentina have the players to, to play that way. And it really did just invite Spain's pass and move football. Some people questioning whether Argentina's performance just underlines that they are a one man team. Harry Middleton, for example, made that suggestion on Twitter. I mean, it's worth mentioning that they did beat Italy 2 0 without Messi in the side. Yeah, which in the Italian press has been taking as even more humiliating now that they've just been handed their asses to them by Spain, 6-1. Yeah. Um, it's very uh, worrying, I think, that performance. I think, obviously, if they'd had Messi, Messi would have given the Spanish a lot more to think about. Um, but they just got done uh, time and time again by the most basic of things, like a goal kick. <laughs> you know, they couldn't even defend that. Or you had Willy Caballero just passing it to uh, Iago Aspas. They were so bad. And um, the midfield combination that they had, Mascherano and Bilia, which you know hasn't really changed from what it was four years ago, looked really lacking in terms of mobility, which I think even top sides will against the Spanish side, as Michael mentioned, has five playmakers in it. But, um, you know, when you're missing your star player, that's when you look to your coach to find an edge to, to really show his va- value. And that was completely not on show, um, uh, the wonder. From the uh, from the much admired Jorge Sampaoli, mm. Mm. I thought it was notable as well that in both the games against Germany and Argentina, Spain created a lot of chances from pressing high up the pitch. We don't really see that in international football. You know, we've become really accustomed to it in club football over the last few years, particularly in the Premier League with Pochettino and Klopp kind of basing their philosophy around that. But if you look at international tournaments, teams basically just retreat to their to the halfway line and sit there, whereas Spain. That was really quite something, I think, the way they played. And, and if they carry that into the tournament in Russia, I think they'll have the edge over everyone else because just no one else really plays that way. Certainly not with that level of cohesion. In contrast to Argentina, though, Brazil, without their star man, Neymar, enjoying two wins. Are they back, Michael, for you? Uh, I'm not sure they're back, but I think what they do have compared to Argentina is an obvious other source of creativity in Coutinho. Um, I think they're quite a good mixture of flair and... Um, and kind of, they've got solid players as well. They've got players like Willian and Paulinho who can provide something in the final third, but are actually very hardworking. Um, I think Brazil were far better than they were four years ago. I mean, you look at that side from four years ago, and I mean, Fred up front with Oscar just behind. I mean, it's it wasn't very Brazilian, was it? I think they're yes. a lot more exciting now. And I would be surprised if they have a, a collapse this time like they did last time. Well, those four nations, Spain, Argentina, Germany, Brazil, I think seen as the, the big four contenders with probably the addition of France, Tom, in that. You, you saw them midweek and their victory over Russia, which featured an Mbappé brace and a, a rather special free kick from Pogba who got a rare run out. Mm. I think looking at this international window as a whole, I think you'd say that Spain, Germany, probably Brazil look ready. I think if the World Cup kicked off in a week, they'd, okay, apart from the fact that some of them have got injured players that haven't yet come back, they look like they know what they're doing. I wouldn't put France in that bracket. Why not? I think, I think the issue that France have is they still haven't figured out how to get all of these sensationally talented attacking players into the same team. I think the biggest issue facing France comes down to who the team is built around. Griezmann, 
or Pogba. And, and what we saw against Russia was, was what Pogba can do when he's playing in a three. Made the first goal from Mbappe with a lovely through ball down the inside left channel. Scored a lovely free kick. Um, first goal for club or country since November. And that was, that was a sign of, of what he can do. But again, there's a feeling that France are better when Griezmann is, is at his best. And when they're playing Russia. Are Russia set to be the worst host nation ever? I mean, quite possibly. There's only um, been uh, one team in World Cup history uh, that has hosted the tournament and not got out of the first round, which was South Africa in 2010. There you go. So I wouldn't be surprised if Russia followed that up. Mr Gribbles says, who are the panel's dark horses for the World Cup? Could Uruguay be one of them? I know you were uh, all over the China Cup last week. Loved it. Which uh, And uh, Wales's victory over China, which put them into the final against Uruguay. Yeah. Tom, did you see, was that on kind of oh, yeah, Chelsea TV Wales, or something? China. Oh, yeah. That was on BBC Wales, I think. Oh, was it? Okay. But then the Wales-Uruguay was only on S4C. Wow. And as a result, the Welsh spelling of Uruguay uh, reached a, a wider audience than it would have ordinarily, and much how to did the, the mirth of how many the Welsh Twitter sp- users. Do you have it there? It's something, and I should know this as a Welshman, it's something like there's a lot of W's mm. where you, where one might expect to find U's. It looks, like, instead they're, find it looks w's. like their form table or something. It does a bit, <laughs> yeah. yeah. A very impressive form table, yeah. given the amount of W's. Well, and impressive is what they are. One hand, you've got Luis Suarez, and you've also got Edson Cavani, who scored against Wales in the final, but also that, that, that overhead kick against the Czech Republic in the semi. Yeah, and a really enjoyable overhead kick in that you saw it coming from quite some distance. The ball goes into the box. Suddenly Cavani finds himself completely free with no one, anyone around him. You know he's going to launch himself into an overhead kick and he absolutely leathers it. Really pure connection. Very, very satisfying. It's okay. funny how just... I mean, these these were basically friendlies, but it's funny how just putting him into a tournament makes it a bigger news. People are actually talking about the China Cup as if it's a thing. Mm. You know, is it, I, is it like not a tour thing? One. No, honestly, I think this is a genuine prediction. Within five or six years, these yeah. international friendlies, they'll do loads of that, but they'll do it in London. They'll just have like a two-game tournament and just create, create something around it. As we said on uh, last week's show, if you put an event on in London... People will go. People go. Yeah. I went to Craven Cottage and there was 15,000 Colombians there. Yeah. It's incredible. Mm. All right. Uh, Mr Gribbles, though, was asking for your dark horses just on that Uruguay subject and their potential candidacy for such a role. Their group, do you know what this is? Their group is Russia, Egypt and Saudi Arabia. Wow. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you want to name a dark horse? Or well, we... in theory, Belgium should be a dark horse. Yeah. Because... <laughs> Not a dark horse. They should, horse. Really they should be because they're coached by Roberto Martinez. Ah. So they're going to have to overcome that in order yeah. to do anything. And I All think right. this is this is a major issue for Michael, them. a dark horse? They're in a Just tough... say, say German if you want, apparently. Never count on the Germans. They're in a tough group. I think Morocco actually got a good Morocco, side. Morocco? On they... what basis? Briefly. Six qualification games, six clean sheets. Ooh. But they're in, a, they're in a group with Spain and Portugal, which is the tough. Well, thing. although Portugal got beaten by Netherlands and they don't beat anybody. Yeah, that is true. 3-0, first game in nine matches that Cristiano Ronaldo didn't score. He got subbed off for Jao Mucinho, but he was happy about that. What do you What do you think, Tom? Who's your dark horse? Um, not Probably can't really call them dark horses, seeing as they are the reigning European champions. But, I mean, why not Portugal? Well, I mean, they, they are the reigning European champions. They've really? got a very solid, very rugged team. They've got a match winner. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't put any money on them, but I think if you're looking outside the, the usual contenders, mm. Portugal aren't really being talked about as potential champions, I don't think, too much. All right. Scotland beat Hungary, 1-0. Probably won't be Scotland. Not going to be Scotland, do you think? First win for Alex McLeish, that, Matt Phillips with the, the goal. They also missed the penalty. Good stuff. And, of course, England were playing 
at Wembley against Italy. Wayne Edge asks, it sounds like Ben Green, producer Ben, doing the stadium announcing at Wembley. Am I wrong? You are so very wrong, Wayne. But this is what he does sound like. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power, the home of the Money Back Special. Keep listening to the end of the podcast to find out more. Thanks, producer Ben. W-R-W-G-W-A-I. Tom, spells? Uruguay. And that's... Okay, so it's pronounced the same way. It's pronounced roughly the same way. It's a bit more W-E. Right. I'd say. Okay. Good to have you here for that. England, a 1-1 draw with Italy. We are obliged to have reached conclusions about this. Uh Uh-huh. Don't know how many. How many? I don't know. How many do you think? I've I've got Vardy's much more used when he's got the ball. That's one. And, oh, here's another one. England can't afford to defend at a World Cup like that because they're unlikely, perhaps, to be up against opponents as forgiving as Chiro Immobile. Hmm? Yeah, I think uh, Immobile could have had, what, two or three goals in the first 15 minutes? (laughs) Could have been on a (laughs) hat-trick. Um, unable to translate his uh, very good club form, which has him in the running for the Golden Boot uh, this season at uh, international level. He never looks... I mean, for me, he never looks like he's going to do it either. Do you, no. do you agree, Michael? You're nodding. I know exactly what you mean. He's unconvincing. Yeah. 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 Um, more reason to call up Mario Balotelli. Well, yeah, I have to agree with you. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, uh, the Italians were not all that impressed by England. Um, they thought, uh, given what they'd heard about them from the Holland game and given how down they are about themselves uh, after um, the Argentina game, they fully expected to get beat in this one. And so to have well, for a good first 20 minutes and then a fairly decent final quarter of an hour... Um, they, they would, they, that was more than they expected. And also, I think they just looked at England's midfield and just thought they've got no, no one who can pass the ball at all. Essentially, you know, they've just got two, two wingers playing in midfield and the only way they can get the ball up the pitch is by running it up the pitch with the likes of what? Um, Rashford, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Lingard, um, Vardy. And that's the only way. So it makes it, it, it makes it very difficult for England, particularly against better opposition than Italy, to control the game because mm. they've got no one really... Is that a fair it. criticism? I, I think the one thing that I would say about England, the one positive thing I'd say is that at least we know how they're going to play at the World Cup and I, I don't think going into any of the last three tournaments you've been able to say that. It was the great irony of Roy Hodgson's tenure that a manager who had made his name on team organisation and team shape and everyone in his teams knowing exactly what they were supposed to be doing was unable to translate that to Mm. England and we had all these really weird selection issues I remember the 2014 World Cup prior to the opening game against Italy who's going to play at number 10 is it Rooney is it Sterling Rooney ends up out on the left Sterling plays in the middle they'd not really tried that before Euro 2016 Wayne Rooney starts his first ever match in midfield for his country in the opening game against Russia so all these decisions being taken on the fly, I mean, England clearly have lots of weaknesses, chiefly in central midfield, but at least three months out for the tournament, there is a very clear strategy. There is a, there is a style of play, there's a system. You know, we now know what to expect, the players know what to expect, and that's a much firmer foundation than they've had for a while. All right. And part of that, without wanting to be too unkind, is the fact that Rooney's not there. I mean, I think England spent the last five years of Rooney's international career trying to crowbar him into the side, despite the fact he wasn't, you know, wasn't that useful in any position. I think his retirement has worked really well for England. And sometimes I'm not saying this will spur England on, but sometimes you look at, you know, big names that have fallen out of the the reckoning. Spain became very good after Raúl quit the national mm. side, having, 
you know, the side based around him. Germany with Balak in 2010, that was the catalyst for them. So I, I do think Rooney clearing off really has, has done England quite well. Who's the player you take out of the Italy side, James, to suddenly unleash their potential? <laughs> well, a lot of the focus is on Gianluigi one. Buffon before right. this international break, and yet he was their best player against, against Argentina. Argentina. All right. Well, this was the last game before Gareth Southgate, who's been very impressive, certainly off the field, as as, as well as, you know, uh, not doing too badly on the bench. Uh, last game before he has to pick his provisional squad. That's on the 14th of May. The final squad announced on the 4th of June. There's friendlies coming up against Nigeria, hopefully in their exciting new kit. Did you enjoy that? Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Do it's you a like flashback it? to what yeah. sort of. It's a combination between the 94 and 98 one. It's like a test card or something, yeah. you know, for what. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, they'll also be taking on Costa Rica. Yeah, mm. because, you know, six degrees of Costa Rica, everybody plays Costa Rica. They lost 1-0 to Tunisia, who, of course, are in England's group. Okay, so that was preparation for them That's for Panama. Excellent, right. yeah. Panama, by the way, they had a game midweek, saucer from England's group, keep up everyone. They lost 6-0 to Switzerland. Yeah, I gather they're not very good and are very physical. Ah, okay. And Belgium, who beat Saudi Arabia 4-0. Dark horses. Yeah, who kept? Who did keep two clean sheets, which was reassuring after they'd shipped what I think six in the in the November friendlies. Mm. So, who was in goal for them? It wasn't Mignolet because he had his hamstring problem. Mignolet. Perhaps that was it. Maybe clearing Courtois out the side has finally lifted the monkey off their backs. Premier League, everybody. After this. Naeem's corner, taken short. Here he is again. And Lineker! Hear that? That's what Spurs winning at Chelsea sounds like from all the way back in far off 1990. Woof! Two sides go again this Sunday at Stamford Bridge. Is Tottenham's disastrous run there going to continue? Who wants this one? Well, I mean, <laughs> if you look at the recent form, yes, okay, Chelsea had a decent win against Leicester in the cup before the international break, but they've only won three of their last nine in the league. What? They've lost four of the last six. Spurs unbeaten in twelve in the league. So, you know, maybe maybe now's the time. Right, Chelsea recently losing to Man United and Man City. Of course, part of. The result of that has been the fact they've dropped off the pace in the, the top four race. There's five points between currently Spurs in fourth place and Chelsea. So a Spurs win here, were it to come, could really leave Chelsea in severe danger of not being anywhere near the Champions League next next season. But a victory for Conte's side takes them to within two points. Kane, there were pictures of him training without any kind of protection on the injured ankle is he potentially going to be available for this? I don't know because I'm not a medical professional and I haven't had access to uh, his records. Okay. Um, but um, uh, with, uh, with Son in such good form, mm. you know, with, what, seven goals in his last five games for Spurs, that, you know, they, they, they're finding goals in other areas. Um, uh, they're not so dependent on uh, Kane as when he first had what, an ankle injury at the start of last season all the way back. Um, also, I, I remember when Spurs last beat Chelsea at White Hart Lane, one of the real problems that they caused them um, was sort of Ericsson getting into that sort of inside right channel, crossing it into uh, to the far post where 
Ali caused all kinds of problems by basically getting in between Aspiliqueta and Victor Moses. So yeah, they, they I think he scored two goals from doing that. So that's that's an area that they might again look to exploit. I'm qu- I'm quite curious to see whether Spurs actually play Aldo Ryald in this game because he did start in midweek for Belgium. We've all been told he's injured, right? Um, and it's not about this contract dispute that there is between him and. and, and is there a contract and, dispute? Mm. Oh yeah, mm. um, because if he goes into what the next year, there's a 25 million um, buyout clause. Um, so obviously that's very cheap um, in today's market. But yeah, he wants the club um, to 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 pay him what he's worth. And as one of the best players and best centre backs in the Premier League, he's definitely worth more than the wage that he's on at the moment. Um, so there's there's that that'll be that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Chelsea potentially with all sorts of absences at the yeah. back. You mentioned Courtois also uh, Christensen who missed Denmark's game with. Well, he was sent back Panama. because of fatigue. Fatigue um, was he, it? Yeah, because because he was just so tired after this. Uh, well, this very busy start to 2018. And remember, you know, he was coming back from his loans loan spell at Gladbach the last couple of years, where they have a a very big. Uh, winter breaks after having to play through the Christmas and New Year period, I think really took it out of him. I think this is potentially the biggest game of the Premier League season uh, between Chelsea and Tottenham because the title's wow, been, the Michael. Ti- the, well, the title's the <laughs> title's the title has been done for months. Yeah, I think it's highly unlikely United and Liverpool will fall out of the Champions League places. Arsenal aren't really in the running. These sides, you know, this is the difference between Spurs being eight points ahead and two points ahead. That last Champions League place is, you know, pretty much all that we're playing for. Um, I think it's a really big game, actually. And uh, I think Tottenham could well win. I think they're just a much better team than Chelsea at the moment. They're more organised. Um, Kane's absence is a blow, but I think Son has played really well running the channels. I think he could stretch that three-man defence quite nicely. Tottenham will be quite solid and compact because a draw isn't a bad result for them. But uh, part of the reason they haven't ever won at Chelsea is because they've really been a better side than Chelsea. Mm. Yeah. And, they, and they are at the moment. They've taken the lead on the last two visits. Well, to the two bridge. years ago was that famous two-two. No, yeah, where they, well, they were two-nil up. up, and also um, it was the season before that they were one-nil up as well. Uh-huh. Um, from a Chelsea standpoint, um, one of the kind of let's quote-unquote masterstrokes that Conte did earlier in the season when they played, you know, obviously they'd lost the first game of the season to Burnley, and then this was the second one at Wembley, and there was already seemingly quite a lot of pressure on Conte. He put Louise in midfield. Um, and they had quite a physical midfield of Bakayoko, Kante and Louise, which stopped Spurs doing what they're really good at. Louise seems to have fallen completely out of favour for the most part with, with Conte, so I don't know whether he's basically not going to be able to go to that option anymore. Fabregas didn't play in that game. He was obviously a little bit more lightweight, so I think that could be a kind of key area in where this, where this, where this game is won and lost. Four o'clock on Sunday, they face off the at Stamford Bridge the in the season. biggest game of the season. I mean, you make a compelling case, Michael. I mean, it, there's not been that many big games throughout Europe, you know, in the big leagues, because the, the leagues are pretty much done with the exception of Serie A. Yeah. There's, there's well, been there's... no... I, I can't remember any really big, exciting games that have defined this Premier League season because City have just streaked off into the distance. It's been a bit of a shame, really. Mm. Well, there are some big games coming up this weekend. We'll talk more about some of the continental fixtures Later on, but another another biggie in the Premier League sees top four side Liverpool, who are currently in third spot, but can go second. They've played a game more than Man United, who are currently in that position, but they are away at Palace, a fixture redolent in 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 in, in memories and regrets, of course, for Liverpool. Fifth of May, twenty fourteen, three nil up with eleven minutes to go, and it ends in a draw, and Luis Suarez in tears. 
on the Selhurst Park turf. I was there, actually. Were you there, Tom? I was, I'd not been to Selhurst Park before, so they put me in the overspill press box. Brilliant. This is not to have a go at Palace. They're lovely people. You get very well looked after, but I was in the overspill press box. I didn't have a plug for my laptop or oh. a video replay screen. The real victim. So when Liverpool fell apart at the end, <laughs> the, the real victim, the sort of the 12th victim, um, I didn't really know what was going on. So it was, uh, it was kind of enjoyable, but also quite stressful. How often do you find that in a game which, in which events unfold rapidly at the finish that you're actually writing a report without a clear sense of what on earth has just happened? If you're writing a runner, so yeah. a match report that has to go on the whistle, you yeah. miss a surprising amount of things. Do you, what do you, can end. you ask the bloke next to you? That's, that's inevitably what happens quite a lot of the time. The worst thing is when you've already filed your report and you go down to, into the press box and you're chatting with someone about the game and they're talking about some substitute who came on in the 82nd minute and and really made an impact and you didn't even realise Do you ever do that? Do you ever make stuff up just to really... I wouldn't wouldn't go so far Oh, to make stuff up to other people Oh yeah, Yeah. all the time All the time Yeah (laughs) Uh, You you spotted that injury time goal, yeah? Yeah, that's that's always always fun uh, I I wouldn't last two seconds in that environment (laughs) Well, Jose Mourinho says one of the great satisfactions of his job is that late goal and just the vision of journalists in the press box having to delete everything that they've just written. Really? Yeah. If that's one of his great satisfactions, <laughs> bloody hell. <laughs> oh, my word. Do you know, it's not just that game. Palace actually have a terrific record against Liverpool. They've won six of their last 12. They've lost the last three at Selhurst Park. They've lost everyone since Chris Ball now at Selhurst Park. Palace have. Oh, really? Yeah. OK. But Palace got that, that win against um, Huddersfield. Huddersfield pre-international break, mm. ending a run of seven games without a win. Zaha's back. Yep. More of those, those injury, injured players are coming back as well. So, I mean, obviously, you know, you back Liverpool to get a result there, but Palace are looking a lot, well, a lot better like than that? they were. I'm not sure that it's, it's that cut and dry. Palace have sprung surprises already earlier this season. Chelsea, uh, very famously, and they almost got a draw with Arsenal. I mean, which, yeah, it's less impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Your revenge narratives... You've got Roy Hodgson, of course, who had a less-than-happy spell at Anfield. Benteke as well, Sacco. God, they've, yeah. they've all got points to prove, haven't they? It's going to be like an Agatha Christie novel. Well, um, both, on a both train. Benteke and Hodgson have uh, good records against Liverpool. Benteke scored 6-8 against Liverpool, mm. and Hodgson's won 3-5. in five. I think it's a tough game for Liverpool, actually. I think Palace, I mean, their injury worries have eased a little bit. I think when Zaha's in the team, they're just so exciting. Mm. I, I I think it'll be a tough game for Liverpool. It's a lunchtime kickoff this weekend. I do like a lunchtime kickoff. Slight danger that Liverpool might have half an eye on Man City in the Champions League. It's a huge week for Liverpool because they've got City on Wednesday and then they've got the Derby next weekend. What do you think? Palace to do one of those special Super Eagles matches? No, I think it's. Uh, I think Liverpool can can do this. I think it's just so hard to stop Liverpool from scoring, and you know you get uh, if you get into a, a game where you, you're looking to be what. Win three, four, four, three, or five, four. It's it's very difficult. So I, I think uh, I think Liverpool have got this. Salah with four goals in his last. Well, he's scored in two thirds of the games he's played in the in the Premier League this season. Twenty out of thirty games, wow, which is impressive, extraordinary. Palace, of course, are only two points above the drop. Stoke, who are three points from safety, are at Arsenal, who themselves might have one eye on their upcoming European fixture when they'll be hosting CSK Moscow on Thursday. Uh, they've never won at the Emirates, Stoke. I mean, even worse, they've lost every single game. Uh-huh. Nine out of nine. Yeah, I think Arsenal will win that. But Paul Lambert has won 
at the Emirates Stadium with Aston Villa on the oh. opening day back in, what, 2013-14. Remarkable. Yeah, but they will be without uh, Charlie Adam after his mm. uh, ridiculous red card against Everton. And uh, some Stoke fans wondering where they're going to get some creativity. Remember they signed that guy Ibrahim Afalai? Yes. Um, who's part of their kind of Stoke loner, sort of let's get Bojan, let's get Mark Muniesa. Apparently he's, they're not going to be able to call on him because they've told him to just stay away from the training ground. Stay away. Yeah. Wow, that's brutal. Um, yeah, so uh, there's that. And also, um, what, Eric Peters, one of their defenders, was uh, caught at a nightclub before the Everton game. So he was, I think, given a uh, fine for that. So all these sort of things, not kind of it's very not helping, good, really. Where right. was the nightclub? It wasn't in Stoke, Well, that's it? the thing, yeah. I wonder about that. So They just have darts clubs in Stoke, surely. No, there's definitely at least one nightclub, because uh, Eddie Hall famously was a bouncer at a nightclub in uh, oh, really? Stoke. So now... Uh, they are in some trouble, Stoke, and likely to remain so from what you're saying. West Ham and Saints is the really interesting game down there at the bottom because West Ham and Saints, the two teams on either side of that dotted line towards the bottom of your league table, separated currently by just the two points and uh, facing each other at the London Stadium. It's the first game that uh, West Ham will have there since all the unpleasantness, Tom. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, West Ham obviously... Uh, a, a real low ebb at the moment. Um, that remarkable game against Burnley and the the scenes that came with it. Um, I think twenty fans have been given life bans by the club, and Mark Noble has written an open letter to the fans calling oh, yeah. for unity. Um, and Southampton in a similarly perilous position in terms of league form, but of course now under new management, Mark Hughes came in. Won his first game away at Wigan in the Cup, which hasn't been an easy place to go for the big teams in the Cup this season. So Southampton go into it with a little bit of momentum. Hughes will have had time on the training ground over the international break to get his ideas across. So it could it could be another another thorny one for West Ham. I mean, you dread to think what would happen if they put in another poor performance. I mean, they've right. lost the last three games by three goals. If they take another heavy defeat, it could be... Uh, could be unpleasant. In terms of instant impact, Mark yep. Hughes hasn't won his first Premier League game at a club since 2004. Really? Of course, he did get his debut win in in the FA Cup for Southampton. Yes. This made is strictly through. Premier League, I'm talking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is it is it the most faded from glory managerial meeting possible, this, with Hughes, who was once the manager of Man City, and Moyes, who was once the manager of Man United, mm. and now there they are, eking out an existence at the bottom end of the pile? Yeah, to say, I mean, it's not bad to be managing the Premier League. No, you're right, it isn't. You know, it, it absolutely isn't. In the grand scheme, I think. <laughs> yes. yeah. Okay, uh, right, excellent. I mean, Southampton are a little bit bolder, or at least that's what you'd take from the starting eleven that we saw against Wigan in that they went with two strikers rather than one in terms mm. of we saw Gabbiadini and uh, Carillo. Yeah. And uh, just he's trying to get as much quality into the team as possible. Maybe Ooh. take the handbrake off in terms of playing... Tadic and uh, Buffal as I'm, well. So. I'm getting breaking news. Charlie Austin back available for Ooh. Southampton. That that really changes the whole paradigm. I think he's still their top scorer, and he's been out for months. Yes, yeah, I believe you're right. Mm. Once he got I one, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now uh, that's well, there's loads more Premier League to come. But after this, we're going to talk fancy foreign stuff. Listeners, you know there's more to football than false nines, back threes, and deciding who's your number one, number one. Yes, football's fundamentally a simple game, but you can't understand football without understanding the modern world, and you can't understand the modern world without understanding its most popular sport. Game of Our Lives is a new podcast series hosted by the football historian David Goldblatt. 
It tackles themes like human nature, globalization, and geopolitics through the prism of the beautiful game, just like the Totally Football Show, sort of, and you can bet we'll be listening. Last week's episode featured Godwin Enakena, the sporting director at Mountain of Fire and Miracles FC, and focused on the humble roots of a team which has taken Nigerian football by storm. Well, this week, David speaks to Shireen Ahmed about how women, people of colour and other minorities are challenging institutional bias in football. Shireen is both a player and a coach in her native Toronto. She's also the author of the Tales from a Hijabi Footballer blog and spent years working to overturn FIFA's ban on women wearing headscarves. March 1st, 2014, I remember exactly where I was at that moment. I was in rural Nova Scotia visiting my best friend Catherine in her home and the wood pellet stove was on and I remember looking at my phone and my hand started trembling. And I just had to sit down and she's like, are you okay? What happened? And I said, you know, FIFA is allowing hijab. She's like, yes, this is what we want, right? Isn't this a good thing? If you want to learn more about why football matters, make sure you listen to Game of Our Lives on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. The Game of Our Lives podcast with David Goldblatt. Subscribe now. Very interesting. Tom, your book, Do You Speak Football, which is out when? May 3rd. May 3rd. Does it have any good phrases used in Middle Eastern football? It has a few. Would you like to hear them? Well, yes. Um, we'll start off in, in Qatar. Yeah. Um, the Thobe is the name of the long white shirt that Qatari man The play. tunic. The tunic. Yeah, okay. If you're wearing one of these garments and you're having a kickabout and yeah. you prevent an opponent from nutmegging you yes. by blocking the path of the ball with, with the your hem thobe, of your thobe, that is a foul thobe. Oh, come on. <laughs> that's what, that's what, that's what <laughs> it is. They genuinely call it, it a foul thobe. Yeah. Well, it's underhand. You well, can't get away with yeah. nut. You can't. You can't avoid a nutmegging. But how would you of, do that? How would you clobber. use the hem to prevent the? Well, I guess if you wear one on a day-to-day basis, you're yeah. probably quite adept at flicking it hem. around. So you know, quick, quick readjustment. All right, let's move on. What do they call stepovers um, in the Middle East? Uh, an Arabic term for stepovers is marwaha, which is an electric fan. Brilliant. So the idea being that the legs of the attacking player resemble whirring. the whirring blades mm. of a fan. Um, another one I quite like is uh, mazaria. Uh, which means vase, and a vase is a statuesque goalkeeper. Okay. Shot flies past him, doesn't move, mm. looks like a vase. Right. And if it hits him, breaks right. him? Or? I think they probably use a different word for that. Okay. I'll have, I'll mm. have to check. Um, and then, different kind of vase problems, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, a final one, um, if you send a shot sailing over the crossbar, that's known as yasid hamam, which means to hunt pigeons. Oh, yeah. Ball sailing into orbit. So there you go. Mm. Excellent. That's fascinating. Fans of uh, football trivia, by the way, sound the clacks, and I'm afraid there's no totally football quiz this Friday. There's not a drill. It's Easter Friday. We won't be doing one. But there are apparently all sorts of lovely things going on at facebook.com slash the totally show, as long as you don't mind everybody in big business knowing your entire <laughs> life's worth of kind of digital. Anyway. Uh, Football League news, Nottingham Forest owner Evangelos Marinakis has been cleared, hooray, of forming a Greek match-fixing ring, but he's still facing the possibility of being charged for bribery and drug trafficking. Mm. I'm sure he's misunderstanding. He certainly denies those accusations. Can we stay in Greece because there is breaking news where oh. the gun-toting Pauk president ah, has yeah? been banned for three years. Three and, years. And uh, Pauk have been docked three points. Oh, really? That blows the whole Greek title race wide open again, doesn't it? It certainly does. Crikey. In other owners of clubs news, 
especially owners of football league clubs in the Nottinghamshire area. Carolyn Radford, the CEO of Mansfield Town, was she was in here. She was on the um, Totally Football League show. Here is a little taster of that. It's what she had to say about the recent departure of their manager, uh, controversies and indeed Peterborough's now, uh, Steve Evans. We recruited Steve's team in the summer. You know, we heavily invested um, into the squad and it was quite a bit of a shock, to be honest. I know that um, his family are from Peterborough. He gets on very well with Barry Fry. You, you know, it, that was his decision. And so we've had to move on. But, you know, with 12 games to go, we were kind of... Oh. Oh, that sounds excellent. That was on Tuesday's Football League show. Wednesday brought you Golazzo and extended. It might have been a slightly too extensive, I'm not sure, examination of the career of Zdenek Zeman. And also, we talk a bit about Italy's game at Wembley. And also, we look forward a little bit to the huge match coming up Saturday evening in Italy. James. Yeah, it's a massive game, James, because Milan who are unbeaten, I think, in 2018, at least in the league, and have the second-best record in Serie A. In Who's got the time, best record? Juventus. Ah. <laughs> um, have the opportunity to be the kingmaker in this title race, insofar as they play both Juventus and Napoli. Um, between now and, I think, um, the sort of top-of-the-table clash at the end of April... Uh, the only sort of spanner in those works is that Milan, since the opening of the Juventus Stadium, have never won there. The last time mm. that Milan managed to beat um, Juventus Was the goal scored by their current manager, Gennaro Gattuso? Yes, and uh, their win was masterminded by their former manager, Massimiliano Allegri. No way, who's currently managing, of course, the, the team they're going to be facing. Exactly, and of course, the... Uh, the sort of uh, extra reason, if you like, to watch this is to see what rea- response, rea- reception, uh, mm. Leonardo Bonucci gets. Oh, Bonucci's uh, on first his time return. Back. Yeah. To, uh, to, to well, Juventus. you know, it's, a, it's an interesting time for Milan. They have continued that unbeaten run, ten games now mm-hmm. in Serie A, but they've got a derby on Wednesday yeah. against Inter. That's huge because they're five points behind Inter in the race for a Champions League place. Win that, and obviously. All of a sudden, it's a very, very real prospect. But they've also got uh, the, um, the the local police department. Basically, they're investigating the takeover for money laundering. This this has been hinted at for a long time, but apparently now it's officially happening. The the sale of the club and the money that came in from China, it, it, what many felt was an extremely inflated, uh, for an ex- extremely inflated figure. The Guardia di Finanza are now uh, looking into it as a potential case of money laundering. Mm. Also this weekend, by the way, Napoli, who are just two points behind Juve, so should Juve slip up, Napoli can go back on top their away at Sassuolo earlier in the day. Yeah, which could be a tricky game because just as much as Napoli are fighting for the title, Sassuolo are fighting for survival. And uh, Napoli did not come out of this international break completely unscathed in that Marek Hamsik picked up an injury, but also their right-back, Elside Hisai, um, um, had a bit of a uh, niggle on his knee. He mm. should be fit for this game, but if they were to lose him along with their left-back, Falzi mm. Gulam, that would be quite a problem for them. So the, it's a question of his high fit. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, then. OK, now, obviously, we're going to be all over. I say obviously, but you might not know this. Saturday, March 31st, is a very special day on BT Sport. Full Italian, starting off with a special kind of mini Gazetta show and I believe 10.45 on Saturday morning. Well, you'll be there, myself, Gavin Marcotti is joining us for that. We're previewing a bit, all the action coming up. Looking back at some of the best bits of the season so far, a bit of chat. Shortly after that, we go live from the Dallara in Bologna with Bologna Roma. Yeah, we're 
Eusebio Di Francesco Sr. will probably come up against Di Francesco Jr. Wow. Yeah, who's playing for Bologna. So. Crikey. And then we take a bit of a break, but then we return with De Classica. <laughs> in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, can that reopen the title race in Germany? Probably not. Probably not, no. But Bayern can seal the title if Schalke don't register a point at home to Freiburg earlier on. Bayern can win their sixth consecutive title there. But it's going to be a fantastic game because it's Bayern and it's Borussia Dortmund, it's Lewandowski, it's Batshuayi. It's all that kind of stuff. Also going on on BT Sport that day, you've got the French League Cup final, which is PSG against Monaco. Boom, Tom. Is the French League Cup final a big deal in France? Yes, well, it's the first major trophy of the season, as uh, much as it is uh, in in England. Um, PSG and Monaco met in last season's final. Um, PSG won quite convincingly, four one, but mm. ended up being seen as a bit of a pyrrhic victory, almost in that they'd you know they lost, they lost that to Monaco in the title race. This time around, obviously PSG, a bit of a wounded beast after going out of the Champions League. Um, we know that Unai Emery's not going to stick around for very long. Um, they've won their last 13 domestic games and they are 17 points clear of Monaco in the table. So you'd have them as favourites. But Monaco are on a decent run of form themselves. They've uh-huh. only lost one of their last 19 in Ooh. all competitions. They look like they've wrapped up second place in Ligue 1. Um, there was a time when they, Lyon, Marseille, were all basically on the same number of points. Monaco have since gone on quite a good run. Um, so you, you know you'd, you'd still fancy PSG to win, but Monaco are in are in decent nick. All right, excellent. Okay, well that's going on. As I say, there's also De Classica, and we finish off at seven forty five forty five with that Juve Milan game live from the Juventus Stadium. Mm-hmm. Another Allianz Stadium. It's now called the Allianz Stadium, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah, yes. so it's another Allianz. So you know, straight from one Allianz thing to a, to another, mm. and then after that. So massive day of Italian football, and then at 10 o'clock, for anyone who's not watching that boxing business, 10 o'clock, the Golazzo documentary airs. Yeah. So that'd be interesting. hope we haven't worn you out by that stage with so much culture, you know. Well, I suppose it's a risk, isn't it? It is. Do join us then for all of that. This is 10.45. And some people asking, is this Gazetta show, 10.45, Saturday morning, is going to be in any way, if it's a forerunner of a regular thing, to which I say, as far as I know, not. But, you know, if loads of people were to watch it at 10.45 on Saturday morning, <laughs> then you'd have to think that BT would go, hmm, Saturday morning show. <laughs> I'm happy with Soccer AM, James. I think they'd bring, they'd bring, yeah. <laughs> Sean Slater's got a question, and it is, does anyone have a copy of the email the hacker sent to Lazio? I could do with a few <laughs> quid. <laughs> Sean. Oh, go on, tell us the story here, James. Well, Feyenoord are wondering where uh, the final €2 million Euro, um, of uh, Stefan de Vrij's transfer is um, because I think, as Il Tempo have it, uh, the Rome newspaper, um, Lazio claimed to have paid it. Um, but uh, what happened is they got uh, two seemingly identical emails. Uh, the only thing is that uh, they had different IBAN numbers on them and one was genuine from Feyenoord, the other was from Hacker. So someone who had knowledge of the whole deal and it, 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 its timings basically inserted themselves into this and, t- and ran away with the last tranche of payment. Reportedly, yes. Uh, I mean, this can is... they not trace where that payment's gone to? 
Well, you'd 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 hope so, wouldn't you? Um, I mean, this is doubly uh, damaging, if you like, for Lazio because um, Stefan de Vrij is at the end of his contract and will be going um, probably to Inter for free at the end of the season. So it's not like they can, you know, just lump on some of that transfer fee mm. to pay for this one. But uh, yeah, not. Uh, Quite an unusual story, that one. certainly is. Speaking yeah. of unusual stories, fans of footballers picking up injuries in curious manners mm. will have been delighted. And I think fans of football in general will have been saddened, meanwhile, by the news that Carlos Tevez had picked up a knock in an un- unusual circumstances. Have you seen this story, Tom? I have. He had gone to visit his brother. Half-brother, I believe. His half-brother, yeah. who was incarcerated yeah. in Argentina. Mm. And they had a kickabout with some of the inmates. Yes. Uh, who didn't hold back in their challenges, and uh, Carlos Tevez picked up some sort of injury. Yes. Well, I, that's, yeah, my that's about as much detail as we can uh, he, He's now out of action for Boca, isn't he? Mm. So Boca are less than happy about this. Oh, yeah, you'd think. Yeah. Right, OK. But it's a nice gesture of him to stage a kick around with the, the inmates who, of course, need something positive in their life. I'm just it's saying that. It's sort of Carlos a, Tevez thing to do, isn't it? It is. Imagine he probably it? hangs out at the prison most weekends when Have you off, done anything just, for you know, inmates with the lads? worldwide, Michael? Oh, well, someone tweeted me last week to say they'd tried to hire my book from uh, Durham Library and it was uh, being rented to prison. Oh, OK. But, uh, yeah. There you go. Well, that's good. Thought. Different kind right. of mixer. Now, more Premier League after this. Listeners, do you like shaving and looking smooth and clean? Yes! But do you enjoy having to go to the shops for new razors and other shaving supplies? No! Well, Cornerstone gives you everything you need for a great shave and they'll deliver it all right to your door. Cornerstone's super sharp, award-winning blades are engineered in Germany, which is always a good sign, and their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Get £10 off your first order and check out the range for yourself at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. Premier League news, everybody. I know you're wondering what's going to happen between Newcastle and Huddersfield. Huddersfield are three points clear of safety. Newcastle a whopping four. Producer Ben asks, are we ever going to see Islam Slamani? Are we? Well, Newcastle don't really look like they necessarily need him at the moment. Mm. You know, decent run of form. Um, what are they? What two defeats in the last ten in the league, and a pretty convincing three 0 win against Southampton before the international break. So you know they're actually looking in in pretty decent nick, even without Slamani. Excellent. Not looking in decent nick are West Brom, who host Burnley, but potentially the Baggies could do the double over the Clarets because they're they're one of only three teams Burnley that that West Brom have beaten this season. Still, eight. They are seven points adrift with seven to play and this could be their seventh straight defeat very possibly in a week of bad news for West Brom with their chief executive Mark Jenkins looking in their books and discovering there's no money there he says he's shocked there's no more money for wages the club's going to need its first overdraft in more than 10 years I don't recall them spending a lot of money in terms of transfers. Have they just been Is giving... Is this why they couldn't afford a taxi on that? Uh... <laughs> hey. Yeah, maybe it's bail. Maybe that's where the money's gone. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not sure about West Brom spending, but uh, Pulis is a bit of a sneaky big spender. There was a time at Stoke where if you looked at the, the net spend for a five-year period, the top three spenders in the league were Man City, Chelsea and Stoke. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure whether he did something similar at West Brom, but well, I'm not I... sure he's necessarily one for balancing the books. Right, OK. Anyway, speaking of spending money on bail, segueing on nice to <laughs> Man United, who are taking on Swansea. That bail story, 
I keep seeing it reported. Previously, it was the fact that Luke Shaw and Gareth Bale share an agent and therefore Mourinho's appalling mistreatment of Luke Shaw has led said agent and indeed Gareth Bale to think, no, I don't want any part of that. But certainly today, Thursday, there seem to be all sorts of people saying, oh, yeah, Mourinho's tempted Gareth Bale to Old Trafford. Does it, do any of you know anything about this? Does, does that make sense? Well, Where would they field him? I mean, Simon Left Sanchez back. made no Left sense. Like for like. Simon Sanchez <laughs> made no sense, really. They still did it. Mm. So why not, why not bail? Just add well, more Madrid, the merrier. Real Madrid do have a habit of signing whoever has just played very well at the World Cup. 2002, Ronaldo. 2006, Cannavaro. 2010, Ozil. 2014, James Rodriguez. Okay. And as a response, they tend to get someone who's a a pretty good team player, but not quite a big enough name as their newcomer and uh-huh. just, you know, send him off to wherever they can. So it's the kind of, it's the kind of summer where you can get someone pretty knocked down value from Real Madrid. I think the other candidate is probably Isco, who, um, had they a bit surely of, wouldn't get rid of Well, Isco. he had a bit of a sneaky dig at Zidane after his hat-trick in midweek, um, said, yes, I just feel comfortable for Spain. The coach believes in me. I don't know what's happening at Real or something along those lines. So, wow. yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if either of those two was to uh, depart, perhaps with uh, Neymar coming in. Yeah. Uh, Man United are facing Swansea Saturday afternoon in a Portuguese manager off. Carvel Yao is, uh, is, is a similarly Lusitanian. Since his appointment on December the 28th, Swansea have had big wins over Liverpool and Arsenal. Just one defeat in five matches in the league. Is this visit to Old Trafford going to continue their fine form panel? No, I don't think so. Really? Well, I mean, uh, both of those big wins that you mentioned against Mm. top six sides um, did come at the liberty rather than away. And uh, United do have a pretty formidable record um, at Old Trafford uh, under Jose Mourinho. So so I think uh, it's not not the biggest uh, jump biggest you know, sort of bet to make but I would say United can uh, would be quite comfortable in this given I think aggregate scoreline this season over the league and league cup is 6-0 to 6-0 that's true do you know who's a Swansea fan Michael I mean lots of people but who news broke this week of a high profile celebrity from I overseas haven't heard this no is this Oprah Winfrey bingo Tom Williams do you know why no because she's recently made Disney kind of young adult fiction flick a Wrinkle in Time, mm. uh, which I've not seen, but I have no inclination to <laughs> rectify that, uh, in which she shares screen time with Mindy Kaling, or Carling, I'm not sure how you say that, and Mindy Kaling, or Carling, owns shares in Swansea City FC. Ah. Good for her. Uh, producer Ben, who's literally on fire right now, says, I'm surprised Oprah's not a Fiorentina fan, the colour purple and all that. Of course, on that whole Hollywood Premier League axis, you've also got Sylvester Stallone, who famously enjoys a cup of coffee at Goodison. Yep. Tom and Hanks, Aston Villa fan. That's true. Along with David Cameron, when it's when he's not, not West, West Ham. Yeah. yeah, to go and bring that up. Russell Crowe, isn't he? has some kind of sympathy for Leeds as well. Does he? Yeah. Who's now auctioning off a lot of his sort of memorabilia oh. because he's getting divorced, so you can get the Gladiator Chariot. Something like twenty-five. The actual chariot. The actual chariot yeah, for about twenty-five grand. Good, good bit of garden, garden ornament there. That's wasn't amazing. It? Wasn't it? The chariot that had the um, gas canister in that you can see in the film. There's a scene in Gladiator where a, a chariot falls on its side, and you can very clearly see a gas canister in it. Really? Yeah. Uh, what was that so used for? Was it a fire extinguisher or something? Don't know. Or did it power the blades that came? Did they have blades that came out? I of the don't think it was one of the blades ones. 
No. On the subject of the gas, uh, my friend went to Bristol Rovers recently. Seamless. And, thank you. Seamless. <laughs> and my friend went to Bristol Rovers recently and saw Kelsey Grammer there. Really? Yeah. Apparently, was it actually Kelsey Grammer? Yeah, yeah. Apparently his wife is British and I think her dad is a director or something. Of Bristol Rovers? Of, of Bristol Rovers, yeah. That is remarkable. Thank you. I can't, I can't possibly top that. Mm. Can you, James? I mean, I've already come out with Russell Crowe, so... Oh, yeah. You know. Fair enough. Anyway, uh, more Premier League fixtures. Brighton taking on Leicester. Brighton can actually move within three points for Leicester if they win. Hewton did win manager of the month for February, so presumably they're due a rotten run of results. And in fact, they, they lost against United last time out. Watford are taking on Bournemouth. And Everton host Man City. If Man City win that game, you know what that means, don't you, James Horncastle? They can win the title when they play against United. That is absolutely true. Yeah. But... Although you'd, you'd think, well, Everton, what chance do they have against Man City? Hold on. Because, Tom Williams? Everton are one of only three teams to have gone to the Etihad this season and not lost in all competitions. Wow. Can you name the other two? Well, Liverpool... Oh, no, hang on. Oh, oh. The other two who went there. Uh, yeah, Shakhtar Donetsk. No. Didn't they get a draw? They won in Kharkiv. Uh, uh, Bristol City? No. Wigan? No. So two teams have gone to the Etihad. Is Man City one of them? No, this is teams who played against Man City <laughs> okay. at the Etihad right. and not lost. One of them won, one of them drew. Basel, correct. Yeah. One more. Knowledge. Is it in Europe or the Premier League? Neither. Oh, League Cup. Correct. Wolves. Wolves. Technically, they lost on penalty. Mm. Ah, yeah. Don't, don't get don't. me started, Tom. <laughs> I should have said right. it in 90 minutes. <laughs> right. Okay. And by the way, while we're talking about Everton maybe not being the pushovers, etc., and so on. Last season, how did it end when Man City came to town? 4-0. 4-0 to Everton. Mm. Pep Guardiola with his head in his hands at the final whistle. Wow. And, of course, City, if we're talking about Liverpool, ahead of their clash with uh, Crystal Palace, will have City on their mind. City, presumably, will also be looking forward to the, the Champions League game coming up midweek. Yeah, Huge. I mean, City's next four after going to Goodison, Liverpool away in the Champions League, then at home to United, Ooh. potential league decider. Then the second leg of the uh, Liverpool tie in the Champions League, and then they're away at Tottenham in the league. Although if they won the league by then, I guess they won't care too much about that. I guess not. Okay, one last update, and that is Kelsey Grammer, if you're listening, and saying, ooh, ooh, it's true, your wife, Katie Walsh, is the daughter of a former Bristol Rovers striker and now youth team coach, Mr Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what the connection, that's what the connection is. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, well, well done to you and uh, anyway that's our look at the football weekend so let's get the odds on some of those exciting looking games from Paddy Power with producer Ben Thank you James I'm here with Lee Price as always and Lee coming up to the Easter weekend the big fixture is Chelsea versus Spurs now there were nine players booked when they met in that very angry game at the end of the season before last um, what price on at least one red card when they meet again? Yeah, slightly less on this game uh, than that infamous meeting, but both teams will be gung-ho for Champions League qualification. So given that it's some sort of weird derby, although not quite, the traders have made this quite short. It's just four to one that the referees dish out cards like Easter eggs and someone gets a red one. What about the money-back special that you're offering on this game? Oh, it's a special one, all right. It's money-back as a free bet if Chelsea win which applies to losing first, last, anytime goal scorers, correct score and what odds paddy markets. Match refund £10, retail only. 
What sort of value can we get elsewhere in the Premier League, Lee? Uh, Palace, they have this reputation as Liverpool's bogey team. Uh, I'm a Liverpool fan and um, Palace haven't been that bogey-ish recently. Um, But what about them upsetting the Reds this weekend? Yeah, they haven't been, but their main bogeyman, Wilfred Saha, is back uh, and back fit and in form. They haven't won without him this season, so he's just the sort of player who can strike fear into Liverpool defence, i.e. a quick one. But with Reds pushing for second place, we're convinced they'll win and we go odds on that Liverpool win the game. Palace are 11-2 to if you fancy the upset. There's action at the other end of the table, of course. Probably the biggest game is West Ham versus Saints. Neither side going through a good time uh, at the moment. This is West Ham's first game and first home game, of course, since uh, all those angry fans came on against uh, Burnley. What's going to happen here? Yeah, this is a huge game, and that's just for the stewards. Um, In the battle of uninspiring managers, Southampton can leapfrog West Ham, and we favour them to do so. They're 8-5 to to win. The hosts are 9-5, to so it's very tight. The draw, which helps nobody, by the way, is 21 to 10 and probably what's going to happen. And in other relegation and chasing second place news, it's Swansea versus United. Now, the Swans used to have a great record against uh, the Red Devils. That was generally when Louis van Gaal was around. Can Carlos Carvajal uh, get the better of Jose Mourinho here? Possibly. I mean, Carvajal has been more like Mourinho than Mourinho himself recently. Uh, he's been a throwback with the charm and slick dress sense and actually winning games. But I can't see him skidding down the Old Trafford touchline. United are humongous 1-5 to five on to win, with Swansea a distant 13-1. to one. So if you fancy that, there's massive value there. Uh, but I wouldn't be expecting to see it come in. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. It is 18-plus only. Begambleaware.org, for goodness sake. When the fun stops, stop. And so we wrap up another Totally Football Show. Many thanks to you, Tom Williams. Thank you. And James Horncastle. Thank you very much, James. And Michael Cox. Thank you, and happy Easter. Oh, that's very kind of you, Michael. So we'll, we'll be back, Easter notwithstanding, on Monday, when our guest will be Daniel Storey, Sasha Gurionov making his long-awaited return, and also Matt Davis, who I think has got an important message for you coming up. See you on Monday, anyway. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. My name is Matt Davis. You know, the guy from Chelsea TV who supports Nottingham Forest and does the commentary of the Argentinian Premier League for Nigerian TV. And if, like me, you're the kind of listener who smiles knowingly every time Jimbo says, it's gotta be Kane or calls the new Roma prodigy Sengis under The Undertaker, then here's some news to brighten up your road to WrestleMania. I've hurled the jabroni who used to host the Parts Unknown wrestling podcast through the barbershop window so that we can begin a new era. New guests, new music, new gimmick, new spandex. Parts Unknown begins on the first week of April with our WrestleMania preview show. And once we're done reviewing it seven days later, we'll begin breaking down all the previous manias from 33 to 1 in our WrestleMania Rewind. Oh, yeah! See, it's not just Serie A that deserves a nostalgia show. Mm. That's the Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast with me, Matt Davis. Subscribe now on Acast, iTunes, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Mm.